Matthew 27. Matthew 27. <clears throat> we might get through Matthew and Ephesians one day. <laughs> so we had uh, uh, refrigeration technician at our house yesterday and the day before was it I think he came past the second and he he said how's the study in Ephesians going I said you've been listening haven't you <laughs> he doesn't come to church but he, he sort of nodded his head <laughs> so um, <clears throat> be praying for people that listen in and uh, you if you're listening tonight good on you keep listening <laughs> to, to the message <clears throat> Matthew 27. And we, we come upon this saying in our last study in verse 46. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama shabakathani, that is to say, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And so we begin to look at some of the sayings some of the seven sayings of Christ that he uttered from the cross and this is one of them let's pray thank you Lord that our Lord and Savior whilst on the cross uttered these precious sayings that we can gather much from and a lot of them have to do with us he was thinking of others while he he himself was dying and being estranged from his father while dying and paying for our sins. Lord, thank you that you thought of us. You saw your mother, earthly mother, Lord, and asked John to look after her. Lord, you had these concerns, even though in such agony. Lord, thank you for these things, and may we see the compassion, the love that was displayed, even as we consider these some of these tonight. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> famous sayings never has so many owed so much to so few Churchill, Churchill. <laughs> have you got a saying for me a famous saying my only regret is I have but one life to keep for my country and who is that what missionary uh, what missionary Okay. Any other famous ones you can think of? If you want something done, go and see a busy man. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's probably given by a busy man. Bruce Belt in World War Two. Oh, okay. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Any other famous sayings like that? You, you sort of just remember. They won't come to you when you want them, but they'll come when you leave church tonight. But I, I think... Return. Say? I shall return. I shall return. MacArthur. Yep, MacArthur. I will come again. <laughs> I will come. Yeah, I will come again. <laughs> we know that one from there. <clears throat> I've run the race. I've run the race. You're starting to get Bible now. <laughs> um, <clears throat> Livingston, I presume. I don't know who said it. Stanley said it because I mean where else are you going to meet a white man in the middle of Africa <laughs> Africa <laughs> Livingston I presume is there any others 
But anyway, we remember those little little phrases that people uttered just on the spot and they became famous, not knowing that they would that way. But here we find and we should remember seven, seven, the seven sayings of the Lord Jesus because they are very relevant to our salvation and what, what happened there. Spurgeon said this, It seems too costly for him who is the prince of life and glory to let his fair limbs be tortured in agony, that the hands which carried mercies should be pierced with accursed nails, that the temples that were always clothed with love should have cruel thorns driven through them. It appears too much, O weep, Christian, and let our sorrows rise. Is not the price all but too great? that your beloved should for you resign himself. And I thought, yes, appropriate <coughs> with this. Let's t- we've, we've, we've turned to Matthew, and we're leaving from there. We'll, we'll come back there. But go to John's Gospel, chapter 7, and verse 40 to 53. <coughs> John's Gospel 7 and verse 40. <coughs> This is people's opinion of the Lord Jesus. Many of the people, therefore, when they had heard this saying, said, Of a truth, this is the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. But some said, Shall Christ come from Galilee? Hath not the scriptures said that Christ cometh of the seed of David out of the town of Bethlehem where David was? (laughs) If they'd only just studied his life a little they would have known that was the case he was born in Bethlehem so there was a division among the people because of him has it ever ceased since that there's a division among the people because of him no great divisions of history and only those that are on his side are on the right side the side of truth and some of them would have taken him but no man laid hands on him. Then came the officers to, to the chief priests and Pharisees, and they said unto them, Why have ye not brought him? The officers answered, Never man spoke like this man. They were impressed with the Lord's words. Then answered them the Pharisees, Are ye also deceived? Have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed on him? But this people who knoweth not the law are cursed. Arrogant lot, weren't they? Thought they knew everything. <laughs> and they didn't. And, and Nicodemus, who came to Jesus by night, is very bold in what he said here, being one of them. <laughs> Nicodemus said unto them, he that came to Jesus by night being one of them, <laughs> he being one of the Pharisees, Doth our Lord judge any man before it hear him and know what he doeth? They answered and said unto him, and they would have been very upset, that one of theirs, you know, they just said, have any of us believed? Nicodemus spoke up, being one of the Pharisees, and said, hey, wait a minute. And like what Gamaliel said too in the book of Acts there, this might be of God, you're fighting against God if you fight against these, these apostles. They answered and said unto him, Art thou also of Galilee? So said, Look, for out of Galilee ariseth no prophet. And every man went unto his own house, and they were still divided. 
weren't they? It was a great division because of him and the words the Lord Jesus spoke. And so <clears throat> there was quite con a controversy amongst them and many of the priests believed. We find that in the book of Acts. Many others believed. Many of the people that did search the scriptures. <laughs> Gal he, he shall come from Galilee of the nations. The, 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 the meeting point, if you go to Israel, that's where it all goes up from the south, down from there, in from the west. That's where you are. <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> come just on the west side of the Sea of Galilee and people trod and many people went that way and passed through there, even on their trading. And so <clears throat> they didn't know their own scriptures. If they'd looked there, they wouldn't have stated some of the things they did. But here, the Lord Jesus Christ divided the people. And if you bring the Lord Jesus Christ up today, there's still a division, isn't there? In families and community and nations, there's still the division. And Christ is the truth. Every other way is a false way. Let's go to the book of Luke now in chapter 23 and hear these cries of the one who divided the people as they spoke about him. Luke Luke's Gospel, chapter 23, and we'll see the first of the seven sayings and verse 33 to 34. Just the two verses there. <clears throat> and when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the malefactors, one on the right hand side and the other on the left. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They were ignorant of fulfilling scriptures. In Psalm 53 and verse 12, we read this. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. He was numbered with the transgressors, and bore the sins of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. The last phrase of Isaiah 53 in the last verse, he made intercession for the transgressors. He was praying on other people's behalf, even those that were crucifying him, and making intercession for them. Father, forgive them, for they know what know what they know not what they do. Uh, <clears throat> it was prophesied in Scripture that he would say such a thing, or a similar thing, as he did in the, on this occasion. So it was prophesied. It was backed by the, a word of power in Matthew's Gospel, chapter nine and verse six. We have it have it written there. This was backed by the word of power that he could cry, Father, forgive them. Because who can forgive sins? Now, we can forgive a brother if they're sinned against us and uh, ask for that forgiveness. But who can forgive sins as the Lord? Who can forgive sins so that it allows that repentant person to go to heaven? Well, here in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 6, we have written, but that ye might know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the sick of the palsy, Arise, take up thy bed, and go into thy house. And what do the Pharisees think of this one that said, Thy sins be forgiven thee? Blasphemy, they thought. 
But does he have power to forgive sins? Yeah. Forgive them for they know not what they do. And the Lord only can do that, can forgive sins. No man can forgive sins. Only God can forgive sins. <clears throat> Let's go to Colossians chapter 2 and verse 13. This saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, is very extensive. We read there in chapter 2 of Colossians and verse 13. <clears throat> and you, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. All trespasses. How many sins does the Lord forgive that you and I have committed? All our sins. All our sins. As a study in itself to then reconcile 1 John chapter 1. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Because when we're saved, he forgives us all our sins. It's extensive. Every sin we've ever committed, he can forgive. And when he cried this on the cross, Father, forgive them. Yes, he was able to. It was prophesied. It was backed by his power. It was extensive. It covered all our sins. How many sins? <laughs> all our sins. And what did you say this morning? All? All? That's all. Mean all. <laughs> I, it always comes to my mind about the two skunks, but we'll leave them. <laughs> in was out and out was in. And, and it's like all means all. <laughs> it's um, <clears throat> That's all all means. And how many does he forgive? How, how many sins has God forgiven that you have committed and will commit? All. You see, see that, that gives you confidence, doesn't it? That gives you security. That gives you the knowledge that this, this, this one who said this can do exactly that. All of our sins. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7. Ephesians 1 and verse 7. We read there, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. He can forgive us through the richness of his grace, as it says there. Hebrews chapter 2, because if all means all, let's look at a few of these verses. All our sins can be forgiven. And not only ours can be and have been, but listen to what these verses say, chapter 2, verse 9. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death. Now, the word all is not there, but every is. For how many men? Every man. He can forgive all sins of everybody that ever has lived. We don't believe in limited atonement. That Christ only died for the elect. It says it in scripture. It's every sin of all people that Christ can forgive as he did cry there on the cross. In 1 John chapter 
If you don't believe this, let's look at some alls. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. <clears throat> Little children, these things write unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins. And who's our there? Talking to Christians. Talking to Christians. It's at chapter 1 into chapter 2. He is, the, he is the satisfaction for our sins. He made the payment. And not for ours. Who's that referring to? Christians that he just talked of. Only, not for ours only, but also for the sins of what? The whole world. He can forgive all sins of everybody, from Adam to the last person that's born as a mortal. He can forgive all of them. His blood can atone for all of them. But it's only those that availed themselves by faith and trusting in the Lord Jesus that have their sins cleansed. And there, <clears throat> yes, for all the world, the whole world. Let's go to another one. <clears throat> In Psalm, Psalm, well, we're in First John. Let's just stay there. First John one, and we've we've quoted it already. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He forgives all. Psalm one hundred and three and verse twelve. Psalm one hundred and three and verse twelve. We read. In this verse, as far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. East and west never meet again, but north and south do. Praise the Lord. <laughs> He's cast as far as the east is from the west. He has removed our transgressions from us. Can he forgive sins? Yes. How many sins can he forgive? All men, all sins, for all time. And this is his declaration on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. If they only understood who I am. If they only understood what's happening here. If I, they only understood I am their Messiah. I'm God the Son. They may not have done this, but they didn't comprehend it. Even the ones close to the Lord didn't fully comprehend, did they? The two on them wrote to Emmaus, show us that. And the disciples are frightened when he turned up. The Lord, who had been raised from the dead, turned up in their midst and thought they'd seen a ghost. But the cry for forgiveness, he can forgive. There's a story of a number of men were discussing the question. What is it in the Lord that grips you? What is it that gets a hold of your heart and life and mind? One who had recently been saved said, It's his forgiving nature. He'll forgive anybody, anything. Why, he even said to his murderers, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do when dying on the cross. And this man said, He forgave me. He forgave me. What's he done for you? If you're a Christian, if you've believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, he has forgiven you. He is not going to bring it up again. You know what we do? We bring it up. <laughs> we bring it up, but he has forgiven us. It's, it's, it's hard 
to comprehend that, but to live it makes you live in liberty, not in license, but in liberty of knowing that you have no burden on your back, the burden of sin. You've been forgiven. Move on and rejoice in the liberty you have in the Lord Jesus Christ, the forgiveness and the freedom from sin. Yes, we'll still be tempted again, but if we are tempted and we do yield, we have a mediator, don't we? Let's go to the second cry from Calvary. This is found in Luke 23. Again, Luke 23. <clears throat> and we go this time to verses 42 and 43. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. We, we can read those words very evenly and flow, they can flow for us. But I think that when Christ was uttering these, verse, these words, they would have been, there would have been stops in the middle for him to try to get a breath to say them because you die of asphyxiation when you die of crucifixion. You know, <clears throat> ver verily. Yeah, and, and maybe a breath and, and, I, and throughout that saying because this is a long one I say unto thee today thou shalt be with me in paradise and, and if you were the thief on the cross and the Lord had said a part of it and you're waiting for the next part and the next part and he, today another breath you'll be with me and the thief's waiting where? And maybe the Lord's in paradise. <laughs> Imagine the relief of the thief as he heard those words coming, stammering from the lips of the Lord Jesus as both of them there were being crucified and had the pain and agony of crucifixion. So the cry of salvation. It proves salvation is by grace. <laughs> it's salvation by grace. And the verse is... For grace are you saved through faith, and not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. That's the, the, full, ver the full version you've just quoted. And so <clears throat> it proves salvation is by grace. It's not by works. It's not by the church. It's not by anything that we can do. It's by the grace of God that we are saved. The cry of salvation. Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. As we've shared and we've gone through the thief on the cross recently. It's uh, instant. It's right at that time. He has promised eternal life. Today you'll be with me in paradise. There's no works this man could do. Nothing he could attain in life. It was only the grace of God that allowed him as he confessed to the Lord. You know, <clears throat> this man has nothing, done nothing amiss, he said. As he replied to the other thief on the cross who was hurling abuse at the Lord Jesus. Who he, he, this man himself had done that earlier. But realised his need. Oh that men would realise their need when they're on their deathbed. They can. And, and, and I think we could share quite a few testimonies from among you tonight. Of people that have made that. And we, we wait for heaven to see if they're there. <laughs> right on their deathbed and I believe you can be saved on your deathbed this is, says it here right for this man it proves salvation is by grace it proves it is by Christ 
and by Christ alone that one is saved because he was speaking directly to the Son of God, this thief. In 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verses 3 and 6, we have this written, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Saviour, who will have... And when you said that this morning, and I was reviewing it again to this afternoon, all, who will have what? All, and I've got it circled. And there's another one down in verse 6. Who will let all men to be saved? The Lord is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance as this man did. <clears throat> all men to be saved, to come to the knowledge of the truth, the truth of the Lord Jesus, our sinnerhood. He is the Savior, the sacrifice for our sins. For there is one God, one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for how many? All, all to be testified in due time. <clears throat> so it proves that salvation is by Christ and by Christ alone. Nothing else will atone for our sins. It proves also <clears throat> that salvation comes instantly. It's not a process. Most religions, salvation is a process. Sanctification is a process. It's progressive. We, we speak about Christian sanctification to the point of when our body is redeemed, the redemption of the body, and that's the adoption that's spoken of in the Scriptures. <clears throat> but salvation is not a process. Otherwise, if it's a process, it's by works too. <laughs> but it is not. Romans 10, verse 9 and 10 Verses that we, we may be, be wise to memorize also for the use in testifying to other people that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, the Bible says thou shalt be saved. <laughs> for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Unto salvation. Bang. <laughs> saved. Before the words even get out, you're saved. And there's so many doctrines that happen at the time that that happens and we don't know anything about it, but God does it. The transaction's done. Salvation is accomplished. We're saved. The cry of salvation, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. It's instant then and it's still instant now in verse 13 for whosoever shall call upon the name of the lord shall be that's what god said this is the inspired word of god thou shalt be saved when you call upon the lord jesus christ now this person was promised paradise was he not when he confessed the lord <laughs> second corinthians chapter 5 and verse 8 second corinthians 5 and verse 8 let's just think of this promise that was fulfilled or going to be fulfilled to this man, the paradise. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 8. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be where? Where's the Lord? In paradise. <laughs> Seated at the right hand of the Father on high, according to the book of Hebrews, to be present with the Lord. So when a Christian dies... They get in a little rocket, do they? And slowly ascend up and go through the atmosphere and get out of the gravitational pull of Earth and then zoom off through the stars for a few million years and then get out into the third heaven? No. No. It's there. You're there. Uh, you know, 
Time and space have to do with humanity and this old mortal body, but not when we get out into the spirit realm and our spirit and soul soar to heaven. Instantly, we're there. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. There's no in-between times. Carried into his presence. Let's, well, last Sunday evening, what was the topic, Brother Sam? What was the topic last Sunday evening? <laughs> he knows he was preaching on that. Luke chapter 16. There. Luke 16, the rich man and Lazarus. And in verse 22, it reads, And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the... There we go. <laughs> carried by the angels, and they don't need rockets. <laughs> by the angels into Abraham's bosom, and the rich man also died and was buried. As we uh, learned last week. Into paradise, into Abraham's bosom, where we know that that place has been emptied of souls and spirits, the paradise part or the glory part, and gone, as it says in Ephesians, the Lord took captivity captive to heaven. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 2 and 4, where Paul said, I knew a man in Christ about 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell, or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth, such a one, so whether he is alive or dead, this is what he's saying. Such a one caught up to the third heaven. And then down, as you, you read on, you can read on through the verses there, but down in verse 4, how he was caught up to paradise, which is the third heaven, as you tie these verses together, and heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for man to utter. Paradise. Today thou shalt be with me in paradise, in heaven. In glory. So there's no in-between time. So that all those people who are supposed to have died and uh, they're resuscitated. And uh, what did you see? <laughs> I saw a light. It seems that's what they say. They hadn't got there yet. They hadn't died. <laughs> Otherwise they'd be in glory. They'd be in heaven. They'd be in paradise if they were Christians. And I suppose... If you did die and went that far and you weren't a Christian, you would have gone to hell as quick, as quick. And can you imagine anybody speaking about that? <laughs> if they did, probably not so. The pride of man is so, that they wouldn't want to talk about that place. And so we have paradise caught up to the third heaven. Uh, <clears throat> Book of Philippians, chapter 1 and verse 23 the book of Philippians chapter 1 and verse 23. Paradise is promised, was promised to the thief, is promised to us. And we read there, For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better, to be with Christ. Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. And Paul said it there again in Revelation 22 verses, and we won't go there, verses 1 to 3. If we abide, uh, are abiding in Christ, as John 15 tells us to the uh, branch abiding in the vine, we must have in the eye the master's glory. Whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. In the ear, the master's voice. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. In the heart, 
We must have the master's spirit. If any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And in the mouth, we must have the master's words. As the apostle said, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. When we know we're on our way to paradise, we have heaven promised to us as believers with our eye, with our ear, with our heart and with our mouths, we should be thinking of him. Every day drawing closer to him and thinking about him more often. Do you find yourself doing exactly that? As a Christian, not distracted by the world, you might be doing the business in the world, but you're not distracted by those things because center, front and center of your life is the Lord Jesus Christ. And the promise that he said today, you could be with me. In, well, he didn't say that, but today you could be with me in paradise. And a lot of people have gone to paradise quickly, not knowing that they'd be there so quickly. And we probably, um, I'd say recently, you think of um, Mr. Ralph Quinn, who was with us one week and then in Ireland a few weeks later and went to, the, to glory in the bed and didn't wake up in the morning. I had a grandfather, Emerson, up in the Mallee. He said to pray that when I die, I go quick. And he did. Maybe it's a good prayer to utter so you don't have to go through the suffering of things. But they didn't wake up in the morning. And no ruffled bed. It was just from there to glory. Hey, be, it'd be good to be having a, a dream of heaven and, and then all, all of a sudden be there and <laughs> poke, poke. Is this real? <laughs> pinch, pinch. <laughs> Am I there? <laughs> That'd be great, wouldn't it? <laughs> I pray that it be so for you, <laughs> for us, <laughs> as we one day go to glory. <laughs> ah, <clears throat> the third cry, and this is one we'll finish with, in chapter 19 of the book of John now, the Gospel of John, chapter 19. Father, forgive them. Then today that shall be with me in paradise. And John's Gospel... Because in Matthew, we only have one. We'll get to that at an, uh, another day. And we're in John nineteen twenty-six. We have this one. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved. And who, who was that? John. John. He wasn't boasting about himself. Who wrote this? John. <laughs> whom he loved. I, wouldn't it be great to be able to say that? John to write that down the disciple whom Jesus under inspiration of course the disciple whom Jesus loved and he probably put the pen down and said that's me that's me he could have he did I'm sure he saith unto his mother woman behold thy son then said he to the disciples behold thy mother and from that hour the disciple took her that disciple took her unto his own home. That tells us a few things. There's another reference in Timothy we could refer to in relation to that, but we won't tonight. But the cry of provision, Behold thy son, behold thy mother. It shows the compassion of Christ on this occasion. He was concerned for his mother. And I don't know if you've lost a son or a daughter that's gone before you, then it is hard, isn't it? And here, her son 
was being taken. This is the one, the one of promise. You know, you're going to have a son. Almighty's hand will overshadow you and all the promises and all the things. And she hid these things in her heart, remember. And then he's taken. All the questions. But, you know, I thought, I thought this was huh, the one you promised. What, what's he doing on the cross? All these, the, the hard questions to answer. And so John, the loving apostle, was chosen to take her home and look after her. Yes, it does show the Lord's compassion in Luke 7, 13. And the Lord, when he saw, saw her, he had compassion on her and said, and said unto her, Weep not. This is a mother whose son had died and was a widow. Weep not. Was it not there that there was a resurrection at that time? But he showed compassion. Does the Lord care? Does the song we sing, does Jesus care? Yes, he does. Yes, he cares. He cares about all of our problems all of the time and he can pay full attention to everyone at the same time. And so here, when he was in such agony, he was concerned for his mother at that time. And uh, he showed that in life, as we saw in Luke 7.13, to the woman who had lost her son. And uh, to lose a son, if you only had one son, that was a, a, a terrible thing. No social security, so they looked after you in your old age to, to help you get through. But <clears throat> this was a woman that lost, and the Lord had compassion on her in Exodus and chapter 20, the last part of that verse, I think, in verse 12, Honour thy father and mother, that thy days may be long upon the earth which the Lord hath given thee. It manifests Christ's obedience to the commands of Scripture. There from Exodus, and he honoured his mother at that time. Apparently Joseph had already passed. It set forth an example for us. That's given in Ephesians chapter 6 to children and verses 1 and 2. And if you ask the children, they might be able to quote it for you. Children, obey. I hear adults replying. <laughs> children, obey your parents for in the Lord, for this is right. Honour thy father and thy mother, which is the first commandment with promise. And so the Lord was doing that. He was, he was fulfilling everything to the T, wasn't he? Even in such agony, even while dying for our sins. And so it showed his compassion. It manifests his obedience. It set forth an example there for us. He is concerned about household matters. Household matters matter to the Lord. And let's take that a little further the, the church. Well, let's look at some verses. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 and 6. He is saying it, I think, within the household of God. The word one another comes up all through the New Testament. We're to look out for one another, to love one another, to provoke one another to love and to good works. And over and over again, there's a whole sermon in the one another's of the New Testament. 
But the Lord Jesus is concerned for the, his household. In Hebrews chapter 3 and verses 1 to 6, where we read, Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him that appointed him, as Moses was faithful in his house. For this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who hath builded the house hath more honour than the house. For every house is builded by some man, but he that built all things is God. Moses verily was faithful in all his house, as a servant for a testimony to those things which were to be spoken after. But Christ, as a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. He was concerned with his earthly home, his earthly mother. He is concerned, just as concerned, about the household of faith. Is he not? Does he have as much concern for you and I that are in, the, in a local church in the household of the Lord? I believe he does. And he holds it dear to himself. He, it's his bride. It's his house. It's his building, as, as the book of Ephesians tells us about. Uh, <clears throat> Ephesians chapter, go there, chapter 2 and verse 9. Or was it 19? 19. 2 and verse 19. There, now, therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. Behold the brethren, behold each other, behold one another. There are struggles that we all go through. And look, the pastor can't take care of every need. The Lord, look to the Lord and encourage what? One another in matters. Uh, lift one another up, sustain and encourage one another in the faith. Build up each other in one another in the faith it's the lord's household and he is concerned for it we should be concerned for the household of god behold thy son behold thy mother behold thy fellow christian behold thy brother and sister in the lord behold them in the book of we won't turn there but in the book of isaiah 53 and verse 10 he shall see his seed, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He's thinking of those that would be saved as he was sacrificed for us. In the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 3, two more verses, this one and one in the book of Matthew, and we'll be done. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 16 and 17. Often we tie this one with chapter 6 and verse 19 and 20, but I think it stands alone. For where it is written. Chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians and verse 16 and 17. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God and the spirit of God dwelleth in you. I believe in this instance he's talking about the church. In chapter 6 he's talking about the individual Christian. But he, <clears throat> the temple of God, the household of God as we looked at in Ephesians earlier. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. And if you look at the context, it's talking about the church. And we should not endeavor in any way to throw a spanner in the works when it comes to the local church. Don't do it. 
It's a dangerous thing to do. Don't destroy it. Don't throw a spanner in the works. Don't cause a problem. Because the Lord is looking out for his household as he looked out for his mother. And uh, behold thy mother, behold thy son. He is looking out for us today. And in the Gospel of Matthew, the last one, chapter 12 and verse 46. Matthew 12 and verse 46 to 50. While he talked to the people, behold, his mother and his brethren stood without, desiring to speak with him. Then one said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren stand without, desiring to speak with thee. Now this is a bit different into what we saw when he was on the cross looking at his mother. He answered and said unto him that told him, Who is my mother and who are my brethren? Who is of my household? Who is in the temple of the Lord? And he stretched forth his hand to his disciples and said, and he probably swept over the audience that was before him, he said, Behold my mother and my brethren. For whosoever shall do the will of my Father who is in heaven, the same is my brother, my sister and mother. And can't we see that on the cross there when he was saying, this cry of provision, behold thy son, behold thy mother. That he's in- including the family of God. The same is my brother and sister and mother. And so he is concerned for us. Not only there, but now. For the family of God. Let's treat the family of God as precious. As worthy to attend. As worthy to back. And pray for its growth his sustenance, and today pray for its, adhere, its ability to adhere together because it's so easy, you know. It takes one word, just a little sentence to split a church. It takes a lifetime to build one and a lot of blood, sweat and tears for it. So pray that God would use you to work together, us, us to work together, to labour together for the glory of the Lord because he is concerned, even in the cry from the cross let's pray thank you lord for your word minister it to us that we might apply these things and live a godly christian life have the attitude of the lord jesus even under severe persecution and death lord that we might lift up your purposes and labor for them and strive for them till we leave this earth We pray your blessing upon each one in Jesus' name. Amen.